Welcome, everyone, to the Score Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Boone, the lead fantasy analyst at the Score. Glad to have you with us today, and I'm glad to have a very special guest joining the show as well. Sometimes it seems like this guy is my kindred spirit in the fantasy industry. That's one way of putting it, because every time I see him tweeting, it seems like he's talking about players that I like. I mean, the guy has good taste. He's one heck of an analyst. It's Derek Brown. You should be following him on Twitter at dbro underscore ffb. Mr. Brown, we can go Reservoir Dog style here. Mr. Brown, thanks for coming on, dude. How's the offseason treating you, man? Oh, Justin, this is a good time, man. It's been a minute but since we've uh, hopped on, talked about football. So thank you for having me. This is going to be a blast. And yeah, I, before we turn the mics on, I was saying exactly the same thing, man. I feel like when I see your articles, I see you out in the Twitter streets, I'm like, oh, dear God in heaven, he's he's absolutely reading my mind. Like, we're, we're in sync. So this is going to be a fun episode, man. For better and for worse. We don't get every pick right, but we're definitely <laughs> lockstep on a lot of these. But now that free agency's over, the draft's over, it finally feels like the fantasy world's getting a little bit of momentum, right? There's obviously the, the pandemic stuff kind of put a damper on the whole offseason but now it seems like there's a little bit of hope that there's going to be football this year. Even if there's no fans in the stadium, we just want to see football as long as they can do it in a safe way for the players, for all the coaching staffs, for everybody involved. A lot could change between now and August, that's for sure. But the outlook appears to be a little more positive than it was a few weeks ago. So I figured we just help stoke the fires, get people even more excited and go over our must-have players for 2020, the fantasy assets that... We're trying to get as many shares of as we can, the guys we don't want to leave our drafts without. But before we get to that, let's hit on a couple news items that have just come out over the last few days here. The first one, I got to get your thoughts on this. Carlos Hyde joining the Seahawks backfield. Now, last week I had Dr. Edwin Porras on. He works over at Fantasy Points. And I mentioned that I was surprised that Rashad Penny's ADP was as high as it was because it did not seem to me like he was going to be recovered for week one, and Dr. Porras pretty much confirmed that. And it made me a lot more interested in Chris Carson, though Dr. Porras cautioned me there as well. He said it's still possible that Carson will be healthy, but he's not out of the woods yet. And it turned out while we were recording that episode that news started breaking that the Seahawks were interested in Devonta Freeman, that they were interested in Carlos Hyde, and obviously eventually they went on to sign Hyde later in the week. So where are you at with the Seahawks backfield now with Hyde in the mix there? So I, I'll, I'll quickly say I'm out on Rashad Penny. I think that he probably starts on the pup. Um, coming off a torn ACL, you just never know what a running back's going to look like, especially considering he had extra damage on top of that. Um, for me, I think the Hyde signing, it, it should give us a little bit of pause, depending on where Chris Carson's ADP ends up as we get closer to the season. Um, for I, I think it makes Carvel's Hyde a fantastic zero RB candidate because if we're looking at this backfield, if they're bringing in Hyde, you have Penny that's going to start on the pup probably. But if you're bringing in Hyde, obviously this says okay, we don't have a lot of faith in DJ Dallas. We don't have a, it for as much as all of us dynasty draft Knicks loved him and, and are stashing him everywhere. But also with Travis Homer, it, it, they're probably not going to be a thing. Hyde is just that unsexy name that is not going to garner a big bump in ADP. So considering what Carson looks like or what his health status is, I'm not worried about Carson retaining the job as long as he's healthy, but I do think this puts Carlos Hyde 
on the zero RB radar very, very firmly. Yeah, I mean, I still have Carson as a low-end RB2 at this point. That's kind of where I've had him the whole time. I think he has the upside to potentially be an RB1 in fantasy, but with Hyde there, it could just be like it was last year where you had Penny mixing in quite a bit, but Carson was still the guy. Carson would be the one that projects to be the receiving back in that duo. We don't think Carlos Hyde's going to come out and, you know, catch 30, 40 passes. That's not going to happen. You have the Seahawks backfield. I mean, that team was third in rushing attempts last year behind just the Ravens and the 49ers. I'm with you. I'm not touching Penny at all. For the time being, I'm still cautiously optimistic about Carson, but man, I can totally see a situation here where Carlos Hyde comes out and Carson's not ready for the start of the year either. He misses a week or two and Hyde comes out and ends up somehow finding a thousand yards again, just like he did in Houston last year. Absolutely. And the other thing that we need to uh, make, at least mention for a second here, Justin, is the fact that Chris Carson has shown the propensity to put the ball on the turf too. So yep. if he gets the fumbleitis again, could he find the bench? I mean, it isn't within the range of outcomes to absolutely happen too. Well, and before, before Penny got hurt, it kind of seemed like that might mm-hmm. be happening. As much as the coaching staff still seems to love Carson and Pete Carroll continuously backs him, it seemed like Penny was coming on a little bit before he got hurt last year. So it's it's not out of the question that they would make a switch there. Uh, what did kind of come out of this, though, is so now you have one of these veteran backs that was still looming out there signed, but Devonta Freeman, even Lamar Miller, they're still out there. They could play fantasy spoiler in one of these backfields. I thought it was kind of funny that Freeman Camp leaked that he would be willing to retire if he doesn't get the right deal. And then Freeman himself came out and kind of, you know, disputed that report. Just ridiculous. You know, it sounds like his agent was just trying to get a little bit of leverage, but there's not much leverage to be had, right? Freeman's just in that phase of his career now where he probably still thinks he's the star back, doesn't really realize where his market's at. But the question that we need to figure out now is, are either of these guys, and I don't know if you want to throw Shady McCoy in there as well, but you know Freeman, Lamar Miller, even McCoy, are any of these guys going to be able to make a fantasy impact this season? Because at this point, I'm trying to figure out where they could even land where I'd be interested in them, unless there's a big injury somewhere. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at backfields across the NFL, and whether it's guys that are set in their roles or don't have much competition, I think there's a few different spots where... These guys could land and possibly if everything breaks right. I mean, honestly, like I think most of these guys, whether you're talking about Shady, Freeman, Miller, they're on their last legs as far as NFL runners. I mean, Freeman last year, we just saw him. Outside of his pass game usage, the guy was dust. And I, I get that the Falcons' offensive line had struggles and injuries and all those things last year. But even Freeman himself, the efficiency was not there. He just looked like a guy that was limping along to you know, possibly like we're talking about into retirement, because if he doesn't get a contract within the next few weeks or this year sometime, I don't see him as being a guy that's going to, what, take off a year and then magically walk into a backfield next Not year. Not going to happen. Not no, going to happen. I, so as far as landing spots, I mean, just for the simple fact that I would love to just watch all of fantasy and Twitter, like the, just the world burn, I, I'd like to see Freeman land in Tampa because I think that <laughs> what everybody's talking about, a, a back that can be serviceable in the passing game and is good in pass protection, Freeman fits both of those both of those things as far as a guy that Tom Brady could trust in the backfield to hold up when you know rushers are coming off the edge. He was 13th in pass protection a year last year amongst running backs. 
that played, uh, you know, 50% or more passing down snaps. As far as Miller, man, I really think that there is a possibility that he could land with Chicago with Laser there now calling some of the shots. And for Miller, it would give me a little bit of interest only in the fact with Chicago there is a clear delineation. Like, besides David Montgomery and Tariq Cohen, there is nobody in that backfield. So if anything happens to David Montgomery, we're talking about zero RB dart throws here. Miller, if we're connecting the dots, depending on, like you're talking about, with the offseason being as it is, guys that are familiar with schemes, coaches are familiar with these players, I really could see Lamar Miller being a signing for the Bears. Well, there's also one spot that's been talked about where they could bring in a veteran back. It's the Eagles bringing mm-hmm. somebody maybe to replace, you know, that Jordan Howard role that they had last year. But I got to say, I mean, Miles Sanders seems like he's in the clear to me now. Hyde might have been the one person that if he signed based on what we saw with him in Houston, who could have come in and maybe, you know, stolen some valuable carries from him. I don't really think any of these guys left would do that. Do you? No, no way. I and Even if they add a back, like if people want to shade on Miles Sanders and want to talk about Peterson's running back by committee, Sanders is going to be the 1A at the very worst. And it's like, how many guys are we talking about, Justin, that are like having these 80%, 90% snap shares? You can count them pretty much on one hand. Yep. So if anybody wants to fade Miles Sanders and his talent and an Eagles team that's been top 10 in rushing attempts in three of the last four years, if they add a back, I don't care. I still want all the Miles Sanders that I can possibly get. And I do think he's in the clear. I think that teams show us their their hand in two different aspects, in free agency and in the draft. They were so comfortable to walk out of the draft with Miles Sanders and Boston Scott being the top two guys on that team, and Boston Scott showing that he could be a productive NFL player last year. Even if they add a guy, I am not worried at all. Not one bit. We talked about teams showing their hand. You also talked about the Bears a little bit. Let's talk about the Bears quarterback situation because there's a little bit of news that came out in the last week that they're planning to play both Foles and Trubisky in the preseason. That would be a departure from what Matt Nagy usually does because his previous approach was to rest most of his starters in the preseason. But now he's got this quarterback battle. It's up in the air. I guess he wants to let it play out. Seems to me like Foles ends up being the starter here, whether it's week one or shortly after that. I'm curious how you feel about it, though. Do you think we should expect anything different regardless who wins this job? But I want to know who you think actually will end up under center. Unless Foles snaps his collarbone again, he's going to be the starter. There's just (laughs) there's no way he's not the starter. Like this is another example, right? Like this news coming out is another step towards that. They're just kind of getting everybody ready for it. Yeah, they're just slowly dipping their toe in the water. And I think the reason if you play both these guys in the preseason, it's just to give a bigger sample size of, yes, Foles is better than Trubisky. He might not be great, but he doesn't have to be to be better than Trubisky. Over the last two years, even in abbreviated stretches, he's outpaced him in pressured play action and clean pocket completion percentage. What I think we see with Foles under center is a more efficient offense for the Bears Yes, their offensive line has still a lot of concerns for me, but if we look at last year, a lot of people are out there in the streets talking about they're going to run more 12 personnel and things of that nature. I don't necessarily think that that's going to happen because Cole Komet and Jimmy Graham, Komet's still a rookie. Graham is total dust. As many tight end bodies as they have there, 
I still don't think that they're enough to move the needle. And if we look at last year, when Anthony Miller exploded down the stretch, this team had an uptick in 11 personnel from 61 to 67%. I think that if you have a bad offensive line, you counteract that by trying to spread it out more, get easy completions to your receivers and running backs underneath. Foles is not mobile at all. So I think we see more of that. Heck, we saw it last year. Uncle Lenny got more of a target share when Foles is under center. And I think that we could see that for David Montgomery. I think that we see more 11 personnel. So I hope that we see a more efficient offense this year. And as long as Foles can stay healthy, I think that's what's in the cards for the Bears. Yeah, and even the signing of Ted Ginn kind of speaks to maybe mm-hmm. playing more 11, right? Like if you bring him in as the speed option and you have Miller, hopefully they don't wait on Miller again this year. Hopefully right from the get-go they get him involved. And you have Robinson, who's just fantastic, of course. So I'm a little bit hopeful about the, that passing game. I like both those options in Robinson and, and Miller. Let's jump into our must-have players, though. I don't want to spoil anything. Maybe I have one or two of those guys on my list, but... Some of the options we're going to mention here, I've talked about in recent articles. I mean, I've written breakout candidates. Uh, I've written players who are going to lead you to a title this year. I've done a bunch over the last few weeks. We're preparing to launch our draft kit later this week. So go and check those out. Today, we'll go position by position. We could just go back and forth here. Uh, like I said earlier, these are players that we're hoping to get in our drafts. It's easier to do in an auction format, that's for sure, because sometimes in redraft leagues, you're just in a range at the end of the round. Maybe that guy's not going to make it back to you in any way, shape, or form, but I'll let you kick things off at quarterback. Who's your guy for 2020? So I think everybody's going to think that I'm obviously going to go with Matthew Stafford here because my love has been very strong on Twitter, but I'm actually going to throw a bit of love to a guy that I really think possesses massive upside and what they've done in the offseason. And I'm going to stay on the Eagles train here. I really, really want all the Carson Wentz I could possibly get. We've seen his mobility. He's in that ADP range. And I think he stays in the ADP range of where I'm kind of looking at for quarterbacks. Because whether you're looking at Fantasy Football Calculator, which isn't as sharp right now, versus like FFPC ADP, he's in the 8th, ninth round. And that's really where I start looking at a quarterback. And Wentz has top 5 upside. We've seen this guy ball out whenever he's had, like the offense doesn't die around him. Last year, they put a lot in his hands. He finished on a per game attempt basis, the highest since his rookie season. And it was an uptick over the last two years. I think if you look at his touchdown marks, he's in for some regression there. He was at 4.4% and he was higher both the two previous years. They made a concerted effort to go out and add speed at the receiver position. I mean, they brought in Goodwin. They drafted Hightower, Quez Watkins. If Alshon Jeffrey gives you anything, and I don't know if that's much, plus Jalen Rager, there are a mouth-watering, simply mouth-watering set of skill players around Carson Wentz this year. And where he's being drafted, I don't think his ADP continues to climb. This, this offense is set to boom this year, and they've really insulated themselves as providing and making sure that they have that field stretcher speed quality to this offense. I really want a ton of Carson Wentz this year, Justin. Well, I love it. You won't be surprised. And we didn't share our list before this. And I did that purposely because I knew there was going to be a bunch where we were the same. And sure enough, the very first one we are lockstep on Carson Wentz. I mean, yes. he's going in the 10th round, right? And the last couple years, the guys who really blew up we're going in that range. Mahomes was going around there, ended up being a phenomenal value two years ago. Lamar Jackson last season. 
I'm kind of stunned, to be honest. And maybe, you know, as we go over the next couple months and guys like us are screaming from the rooftops that you should be drafting Wentz, maybe his ADP will go up a little bit. But I'm shocked that he's lasting this long, because when you look at his career in 2017, was really an MVP candidate before he got hurt late in the season. And then he comes back in 2018. He had a decent year. He kept getting hurt late in the year in the playoffs. And that kind of left a bad impression in people's minds. But he had a decent year. The only difference in 2018 was he wasn't running very much because he was coming off the injury to his knee. Then last season, he's ready to go. The legs are fine. The rushing stats come back. He plays all 16 games. But like you said, it's the receiving core that lets him down. But I love the fact, 243 rushing yards last year, that is enough. When you look at the top 10 fantasy quarterbacks, you almost have to have those rushing stats now in order to get into that range, or you have to just have an unbelievably insane season from a passing perspective. But I think Wentz could have top five upside here, and you touched on it. It's not even just, because I don't know that Alshon Jeffrey will be ready week one. I don't even know how the team feels about Alshon Jeffrey at this point, because there was some kind of questionable things that came out in the media and there was some people who thought maybe he was the person that was leaking stuff and all that. I don't know what the locker room feels about him. I don't know his health situation right now, whether he'll be ready, but Deshaun Jackson should be healthy. And like you said, Jalen Rager's there. They also went out and traded and got Marquise Goodwin, who at least is another field stretching option. They didn't have the speed last year and they ended up having to just have this really shallow intermediate offense. Now you have all these weapons that you can put out there J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, last season, he was a guy who was not healthy, and he played through those injuries. Maybe we'll see that he can be a little bit better, maybe you know a little closer to what people expected of him coming out. Ertz, Goddard, Miles Sanders, who we touched on earlier. There's just a really clear path, to me anyway, that Wentz could return top five fantasy value, and that's what I want. I'm looking for that upside. So I absolutely love that. I went on too long about him because, man, you... Covered it completely. So I'll give another guy. Gardner Minshew. And maybe we're talking now here more about uh, Superflex, 2QB leagues, looking at that sort of thing. I didn't get swept up in the Minshew hype last year. But looking back at his numbers, not just his stats, but some of the underlying numbers, he performed really well. Especially when you consider he was a late round pick in real life. This is another guy. Runs the ball. He checks that box. He was fifth in rushing yards last year, despite the fact he didn't even start the full season. And that put him behind Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, and Deshaun Watson. That is it. Minshew was next on that list. I really like the weapons in Jacksonville. I think they're underrated. I like Jay Gruden coming in as a more competent offensive coordinator. I like what I'm reading about Minshew and his dedication in the offseason. I like their early season schedule. I think there's a lot to like here. And he's a guy that's going undrafted right now in redraft leagues. Might be a bit of a long shot. I'm not suggesting you should draft him as a top 12 or a top 15 option, but he's got a chance to put up those kind of numbers, especially with that rushing value. Justin, I love the call. I absolutely love it because he's one of the sneaky Konami code quarterbacks this year. Like you're talking about, we need that rushing upside, that floor to be a top 10, top 12 quarterback. I mean, last year you're talking about his pace Out of the 12 games he started, if you pace that over 16 games, he'd have had 440 rushing yards last year. The quarterbacks that had above 400 rushing yards last year, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray, and Josh Allen. That's it, dude. That is absolutely it. And he is one of the guys that I don't think people have quite caught on to how good his mobility is. 
And with Jay Gruden as the offensive coordinator, we saw Andy Dalton stack up some uh, years where he had a lot of rushing touchdowns. He consistently was in that three to five range in rushing touchdowns. So I really think that that thing, that is what adds to his floor, much less his ceiling this year. Love that call. Awesome. Let's keep it moving. We'll shift over to running back. Once again, I'll let you go first. Give me a ball carrier that you absolutely have to own in 2020. I want all the Cam Akers this year. I want every bit of it. I don't want, I, I will aggressively target him this year. And for all the Daryl Henderson lovers, truthers, hypers, for all, look, if, if you're still stuck in take lock, hoping Henderson is going to be a thing, all I can say is I'm sorry. I'm sorry because I don't see it. This is a guy that struggled. He could not even carve out a role behind Malcolm Brown last year. They invested high capital considering what the picks that they had in the draft in Akers, and Akers has the skill set to ball out. I'm not worried about their offensive line. People keep throwing it out there that they're a bottom five offensive line, and I don't see that either. If you look at deeper into the metrics of their offensive line, they were 19th in adjusted line yards. They were 14th in getting their running backs to the second level last year. I think a lot of this needs to be given some context on Todd Gurley and his absolute dusty knees. I, I just can't see it, man. Cam Akers right now is being drafted outside the top 24 running backs, and he's a guy that, if you look at opportunity offense, because this was still a good offense last year, that Akers has the ability to be that guy that you draft outside of RB2 status that can be an RB1 for you this year. Just walking into offensive situation, they were fifth in red zone attempts per game last year. McVay has shown that he wants to give it to running backs inside the 10. Even if we were talking about previous non-Todd Gurley years, he loves to run it when they get in close. Inside the 10, his rushing attempts pre-Todd Gurley. So if you look at the entirety of the backfield, they were 12th, 5th, and 8th. And this is back to the Alfred Morris days, the Rob Kelly days. Those backfields, McVay has shown us when they get close, he wants to give it to the running back, much less if he ups in, in pass game usage last year, which last year was an outlier because Gurley, I think his efficiency dropped off the map. And I think that we saw that considering how they didn't use him in the pass game. Touchdown upside, I really, really want a ton of Cam Akers this year because I see the upside. I see a good offensive situation and we love guys that catch passes and I see the pass game involvement there for him in this offense. So give me all the Cam Akers. When he's used to playing behind a bad offensive line in college. Mm -hmm. So even if the offensive line isn't great for him with the Rams, he could still get it done. And I don't have it in front of me. And I forget, I wasn't the one who unearthed this. It was someone in the fantasy industry. And I'm sorry that I don't remember who it was, but the Rams put out a video around their draft and it was one of those looks inside their war room kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it was about the actual Akers pick. And uh, Les Snead asked one of his scouts, about Akers or another player later. If we took Akers in the second or if we took, the, maybe it was Michael Pirine in the fourth or something like that. And the scout said, take Akers. He can be your workhorse. Now, we don't know if Les Need believes that, if he's you know just going to trust the scout, but they ended up taking Akers, obviously. So that organization, there's people in there that believe that he can be the workhorse. I think he's the most suited to that role. And I think he's going to get the, the first shot at it as well. So I like that call. For me, I'm going to go a little higher up the draft board. 
and it's a guy, Kenyon Drake here. And maybe this one is just too obvious because of what he did in the second half last season, but we've been doing some mock drafts at the score recently and I've, I've written them up. They're going to be in the draft kit, but in the one mock draft we did, it was 10 teams. I had the first overall pick. So it came back around to me at the end of the second round, 20th overall. And I took Kenyon Drake there and I actually got a hard time from some people. I can't believe that. It's just crazy to me. This is a guy who was completely underutilized in Miami for over three years. Then he goes to Arizona into a system that we know can produce fantasy points for running backs. David Johnson, through the first six weeks last year, was a top five fantasy running back. Everybody wants to harp on him for later in the year, that one clip where he looked so slow. The guy was injured at that point, and he didn't have the starting job anymore because of how good Kenyon Drake was playing. Drake just burst on the scene. He had that first game against the 49ers, had over 160 yards from scrimmage and a touchdown. The rest of the way had 300-yard rushing games, and he had the third most PPR fantasy points on average among running backs during that span. And I love the fact that, you know, sometimes when you got to figure out what would the players on pace stats be, this one's really easy. He played eight games, so you just had to double everything to find out what he would have done over 16. And it would have been 246 carries, 1,286 rushing yards, 56 receptions, 342 receiving yards, and 16 total touchdowns. If you add all those numbers up and you put it against all the running backs that went last year, he would have been second behind Christian McCaffrey. It's the only running back that would have outscored him last year based on those on-pace stats. So Drake, I think he's going to owe a big portion of his success to this system. I think it's whoever's going to play in this system. And that's why I think Chase Edmonds is a guy that I also want to buy late in drafts because he's somebody that could come in. We saw him do it in a very small sample size last year, but we saw him come in and produce as well. But Drake is going to be the workhorse in this offense. And just like David Johnson did last year, I think he's going to get off to a hot start. I think he has top five upside. You have Johnson out of the picture now. You have DeAndre Hopkins there, which is going to help draw defensive attention away from the line of scrimmage, right? So it seems to me like every arrow is pointing up here and Drake is consistently available in the late second round. So you could start your draft off. You could get one of those top backs, come back, get a guy like Drake. And there's so much value at receiver in the third, fourth, fifth round. You could get DJ Moore. There's a bunch of guys, Amari Cooper, that are all available there. So I think that's a phenomenal way to start. I think he's somebody who really should be valued as a late first round pick and you're getting him in the late second round. I love Drake and I love the offensive system for the Cardinals. I think that we're going to see an uptick in touchdowns. I think that it's wheels up for Drake. I think he has top three, top five running back upside. So even if he does creep into the end of the first round, Justin, I'm still willing to smash the button on Drake. Same, same. All right, who's your second running back? So this guy, this is a guy that I think the narrative is a little bit wrong, kind of like with Cam Akers. Um, I want a lot of Melvin Gordon this year. I really think that he's going to be the workhorse for Denver. If we're talking about this being a better offense this year, considering with, with Drew Locke under center, all the offensive weapons they've added to the cupboard this year, they that Hamler, they already have Fant, they have Sutton, Judy, I think that there are a lot of things that are going to help Melvin Gordon in this offense. And people are like, why did they bring Melvin Gordon in when you already had Philip Lindsay? And it's really clear to me, if you look at his contract, they want a workhorse guy. They do not think that Philip Lindsay is that guy. And I think that they believe Melvin Gordon is that guy for them. I mean, you look at Pat Shermer, his offenses. In seven of the last 11 years for his offense, 
His RB1 has been in the top six in touch share. I mean, between 69 and 83%. And I really think, like we're talking about narratives, I think Gordon is the three-down workhorse, and you're getting a discount on him. And if this offense is better around him, we saw him last year after he got his legs under him. I mean, weeks dying through 17, he ran at 4.2 yards per carry, his yards per target shot up. This offense is going to be faster than it was last year. They were 25th in pace. Under Shermer's last two teams, the last two years with the Giants, they were 10th in pace. So they're going to run more plays. We're talking about volume is king in fantasy. And for a guy that is being priced as a middle, heck, I think we could see his ADP drop just depending on what the narrative is walking in closer to the season. If I'm getting him as a mid RB2, late RB2 in drafts, uh, considering positional value, and he has an upside and the ability to garner more work than most people are seeing, I'm going to smash the button in the in the third round. If he falls in the fourth, he's almost an auto pick for me in most drafts. Big surprise. We agree on that one, too. When the move first happened, my initial take was, okay, well, there's no way that they could just push Lindsay aside completely. But when you look a little closer, in the second half last year, they weren't really using Lindsay as a pass catcher at all. Like, they kind of soured on him a little bit. There's a reason why you bring in a guy like Melvin Gordon. And even if both of them get touches, I think there could be enough carries in this offense to support both those guys, almost in the same way that we saw with Eckler and Gordon last year, just in this version of it, it seems like Gordon's the one that's going to get all those valuable touches around the goal line and as a receiver and stuff. So he's the guy I want in that backfield. And I like his upside a lot. I think we could be underrating him for my second one. I'm going to cheat a little bit here and I'm going to mention a couple guys because I think you could kind of group them together. And it goes with the chase Edmonds thing that I said a second ago, Alexander Madison, Tony Pollard, Chase Edmonds, guys like that, we don't always know who the handcuff is going to be in an offense, and I think sometimes people guess wrong on that, but these are guys that I feel very strongly, they're going to be the number two in their offense, all they require is an injury to their starter, and I don't think they get drafted early enough, and when you look, when you get past a certain point in the draft, you've probably already filled out your starting receiving core, you get to that ninth, tenth round, if you're not taking a quarterback or a tight end, you should be just loading up on these high upside backs. I want the players on my bench who can make a huge difference if things fall their way. And it does not take much for these guys to have everything fall their way. It just takes Dalvin Cook, who has an injury history, to go down. It just takes Ezekiel Elliott to maybe have an off-field issue and get suspended or miss some time. Like This stuff could very easily happen. And I'm getting a lot of them because I think I have them five to 10 spots higher in my rankings than a lot of people. So I am happy to scoop those guys up and hold them on my bench. I I love the calls and I'm going to add one on there. If we're talking about really late round guys that are one injury away from massive workload and that's Darrington Evans for me, the Titans have shown that they are willing to go all in on the run. Evans is a guy that plays in both early downs in the passing game if anything happened to Derrick Henry, Evans is going to walk into an RB1 touch share, and there's nobody there that's going to fight him for it at all, too. Yeah, I don't love Evans, maybe as much as you do, but I think you just nailed it. There's nobody else there. They'd have to sign somebody off the street to even prevent him from getting a, a pretty big workload there. All right, receiver is a very fun one this year. There are so many players to like. Let's give a couple. I'll start it off, and it's a guy that I very briefly, I said his name earlier. It's DJ Moore, and I wanted to go first because I don't want you to steal this one from me. <laughs> you know I love him. 
every fantasy football analyst out there should just be screaming in your face telling you to draft DJ Moore this season. The guy followed up a very good rookie year where he had 788 yards, follows it up with 87 receptions, over 1,100 yards, and he was catching most of his passes from Kyle Allen, who is a backup-level quarterback, folks, and he had Allen most of the season. And if you want to come back at me and say, well, Allen's a backup and he didn't want to throw deep and that's why he just peppered DJ Moore, well, guess what? The new guy in town, Teddy Bridgewater, he's kind of like a better version of that, right? He's not somebody that's really going to challenge downfield all the time. He plays that same kind of game. Moore's compiled the ninth most receiving yards in NFL history before the age of 23, and he appeared in fewer games than everybody on the list above him except for Juju Smith-Schuster. You know, and he has these low touchdown totals. He's talked this offseason that he needs to get those up, that he wants to address that. We'll see. You know, when you're talking about touchdown totals, they can vary wildly from year to year. It would not shock me at all if he comes out and puts up six, seven, eight touchdowns. Phenomenal talent. You have this new offensive-minded coaching staff there with Matt Rule and coordinator Joe Brady. You have Bridgewater, who, like I said, is an upgrade. The rebuild they're doing on the defensive side of the ball, that's only going to force the offense to throw the ball even more this season. And they had 633 pass attempts last year. That was the second most in the league. So they're going to be right back up in that range again. There aren't that many players that I get year to year as excited about as I am about more. That's just, I'm just trying to qualify this because I'm not a hot take artist. I'm not a guy who comes out here and, you know, just tells you that, you know, this third string running back's going to be an RB1 or anything like that. I try to base everything that I'm doing in logic, have the evidence to back it up. And to me, everything points to more having a huge breakout. He did last year. He's going to take it to another level. I think this is a guy that at this time next year, we might be talking about him as a top five fantasy wide receiver. I, I love the take. Yeah, you, you. I'm glad you let off because if you weren't going to say DJ Moore, I was. But I, I have to get one of my love list guys in here, and people are going to turn the podcast off if I don't mention a guy that I have stand time and time again, and I'm still here. I'm not leaving. I love Calvin Ridley. I want all the Ridley, and people are talking about, yes, the hype is high and stuff of that nature. Right now, his ADP, he's going as a mid-wide receiver, too. I think that that is definitively his floor walking into this year. All the talk and all the hype about him being this year's Chris Godwin, I think is real. If you look at the Falcons, they're going to pass the ball. They're going to throw. And if I don't believe Todd Gurley can stay healthy or is efficient this year, then what are they going to do? They're still going to throw the ball. Dirk Cutter has shown that in his last three years, they've been top four in passing attempts in his offenses. Last year with six games without Mohamed Sanu, gone bye-bye. Ridley was on a furious pace. And people are talking about, well, he didn't pass a 1,000 yards. He didn't go above 100 targets. He didn't play a full season. He would have easily bested both of those marks had he played the full year. But without Sanu last year, like I said, blistering pace. If you look at his pace in those games, six games, what he was on, the last few previous seasons, he was on pace for 279 PPR points. That would have put him as the wide receiver 2, 10, 4, and 5 in each of the last four years. I think the ceiling is so high for Calvin Ridley in an offense that we know the quarterback situation is stable. We know where the ball is going. And for everybody that wants to talk about Hayden Hurst, look, I get it. But the other thing that needs to be given context here is that 
where we're talking about wide receivers changing situations. That needs to also be given as a narrative for tight ends if we're talking about them in the light of being pass catchers. Hayden Hurst is new to this offense, and we don't know what the offseason is going to look like. I understand that he's flying up to Atlanta and he's catching passes from Matt Ryan as much as he possibly can. It's still not the same thing. You're still the new dude in the room. And we're talking about rapport. Calvin Ridley has it with Matt Ryan, and I think we see his... He is a rocket ship, and I want to be tied to it this year. And what if, what if Julio Jones gets hurt? There's, if that happens, exactly. You don't even have to have words for it. I think that sound, that sound sums it up. <laughs> uh, you said you had to mention Calvin Ridley. A guy that I have to mention because I've just been pushing him so much is Robert Woods. The, since joining the Rams, since joining the Rams 2017, He's taken his game to another level, and I think some people are looking back at his time with the Bills, and they still have that in their mind. They think he's that receiver. He's not anymore. Since he's gone to the Rams, this guy's produced like a top 15 fantasy wideout. He appeared in just 12 games in that first year with Sean McVay, and he was on pace for 75 receptions, over 1,000 yards, and 7 touchdowns. That would have made him the wide receiver 14 that year. The following season, he comes out puts up a top 10 fantasy result, had 86 grabs, over 1,200 yards, and six scores. And then last year, he got off to a slow start, was averaging seven and a half targets per contest, only had one touchdown in the first half of the season. He was a guy that we kept saying the touchdown regression was coming for him. It didn't really show up. He only ended up with three total touchdowns on the year. But in the second half of the season and down the stretch, when that offense shifted to more 12 personnel, Everything changed. Woods really got established at that point as the number one receiver in that offense. The 19% target share that he had in the first half of the year jumped to 26%. He was averaging 11.3 targets per game from that point on. And he was the wide receiver 13 on the year. Despite all those struggles I talked about in the first half of the season, he was still the wide receiver 13 on the year. And if you just look at that time in the second half of the year, when things changed, he had the six most fantasy points from that point on. So everything, another guy that things are looking so good. It's the same kind of case with Moore that Woods might have the limited touchdown numbers from last year, and that might actually keep fantasy owners away from him, or it might not make them realize just how good he's been and just how good he can be. It's a guy with wide receiver one upside. And the thing that stuns me, I don't know how anybody takes Cooper Cup over this guy. No, I don't understand that either because Woods, if we're trying to read tea leaves and figure out what they do personnel-wise, whether they go 11, I think they spread it back out, but whether they go 11 or 12, Woods is the guy that's he's situation personnel agnostic. He's not coming off the field whether they're in 11 or 12. It does not matter. Robert Woods, I love the call because he's one of those unsexy players. Like, people that love production love Robert Woods, but people that draft by names and, and sex appeal, like, they don't want any Robert Woods. And I'm like, why do you not? The volume is there. He's going to get it and put up points. If we're talking about sex appeal, Justin, I got to mention Terry McLaurin here. I love him for this year. The Redskins did nothing to address their pass game in the offseason. And for a guy that I think you're drafting him at, like, he's going to be going in that wide receiver three range. That is basically his floor last year. And the splits with him with Keenum versus Haskins were massive. And it wasn't volume driven because he was still pacing out for above 100 targets and 1,000 receiving yards. 
the part that we saw regression massively for him and where we're getting the value here is touchdowns. It's all touchdowns. Because with Haskins under center last year, he was a wide receiver 41 in points per game because he didn't get any touchdowns. He was at .25 per game. But with Keenum under center, he was wide receiver 10. He's going basically in the middle of that split. And for a guy that I think he doesn't have anybody fighting him to be the alpha, to command 120, 140 targets in this offense, they're going to run faster than I think they did last year. Even with Kyle Allen, we saw like, with the Panthers, and Scott Turner is the guy at the controls this year. They were 11th highest in passing percentage in neutral scripts. So for the Redskins, despite what you think about Haskins, McLaurin is going to garner targets. He's going to get volume. If the touchdowns bounce back and we see an uptick in this offense, there's nobody that's going to fight him for that wide receiver one mark, and I want a lot of Terry McLaurin this year. And I'll say, if his dynasty owner is at all worried about the Haskins thing, now is the time. There is not going to yep. be another opportunity after this to get him on your roster. So go overpay if you have to. We can finish things off here with tight end. A ton of breakout candidates at tight end this year. But who's your favorite? Who's the guy that you want to be drafting the most? I want Mike Kosecki on every single team. As much as I can get exposure to, he was a tight end one last year. And he's being drafted outside the top 10 in a lot of different spots. Top 12. His athletic profile just screams mismatch. And for all the Preston Williams love in the Twitter streets, I I get where you're coming from. But if you look at Chan Gailey's offenses, he has fed the slot whenever he's had talent there. And Gasecki is a slot wide receiver masquerading as a tight end. Even if you look at guys that are tight ends that run a ton from the slot, Gusecki's usage there and the amount that he's there and the targets he garners from the slot is still off the charts. Even tight ends that we're looking at that that garner a lot of usage in the slot usually are somewhere in that 50 to 58 range as far as the percentage of their targets or their snaps and such. Gusecki was at almost 70% last year. He is a slot wide receiver, so all the narrative of Chan Gailey and what his tight ends do... Those narratives are wrong. If you're basing narratives around his usage and tight end finishes, it's a wrong way to go about it with Mike Gusecki because he is a slot wide receiver. This is an offense that we think is going to take another step forward, whether it's Fitzpatrick or Tua under center. Fitzpatrick knows Gailey's offense in and out and through and through from time with the Jets and Buffalo. Gusecki built a rapport with him last year. I think that it's wheels up. I think Mike Kosecki could have the volume, the red zone ability, and the mismatch ability to be a top five tight end this year that you're going to draft outside the top 12. And yeah, you know, everyone's optimistic right now about Preston Williams' injury, but the guy tore his ACL in November. It's not Mm -hmm. a sure thing that he's going to be ready for week one. And if he's not, that's even better for Kosecki at the start of the year. I'm going to look a little higher. I'm going to spend a little bit more on this tight end. And I got to keep an eye on his ADP because I think it's going to continue to rise here. And that's my one concern with him. But right now, I want to get as much Tyler Higby as I can. And a big reason for that is just what we saw him do late in the season. You don't see tight ends come out and put up four 100-yard games over the span of five weeks. The guy comes out, he's the number one scoring tight end during that time. I know it is an incredibly small sample size, and regardless what you think about that Rams offense, they've been able to produce, talked about it with Robert Woods, Higby was phenomenal down the stretch, and I want him on my roster 
just to see if he can put up even 80% of that. Because if he can, he's still a top five tight end. So I don't know why anyone would be scared of him. People are a little bit worried that Gerald Everett could come back and get involved. Guess what? There's going to be some vacated targets there. You have Brandon Cooks out of the way now, and they can both play. If they're going to do more 12 personnel, you can get both those guys on the field. I can't imagine that you put Higby back in the box after you saw what he did late in the season. On the year, he graded out as the third best tight end from PFF behind George Kittle, Mark Andrews, and Travis Kelsey. That is phenomenal company to keep there. So give me Higby as much as I can get him. Give me the guy who has that number one potential uh, upside at tight end, but I think at least top five for sure in 2020. Yeah, I love the call. And for all these guys we're talking about here, Justin, too, if you're willing to roll the dice and you chase the upside, especially in redraft, like a lot of redraft leagues, I'm treating like DFS. Like I want to chase the upside with guys while also padding the floor with a lot of my other selections and drafts. And Higby's a great, great option if you're chasing upside. Because if the dice roll hits and you get snake eyes and it's money time, dude, that that's a league winner right there. Well, and if it goes the other way, it's almost like quarterback where you're going to be able to find somebody. Mm-hmm. The, there's guys going undrafted, the the Chris Herndons, the Blake Jarwins, Irv you know, even if Irv Smith, you know, Jay Sternberg, you want to go really low. There's guys down in that range. Someone's going to pop off and you'll be able to get them early in the season if it turns out that, you know, Higby does, you know, fall on his face, unfortunately. Well, that is all for today's show. If you're not following Derek on Twitter, go fix that immediately. Give him a follow. Like I said off the top, at Debro underscore FFB. You will be a better fantasy player if you do. I promise you that. It's why we bring these guys on. I would not have anyone on the show who I don't follow myself. And he is absolutely awesome. I appreciate you being here, man. Definitely going to get you back on. Maybe even during the season, we do weekly preview shows. Maybe we'll get you on for one of those. That sounds great, Justin. This was a blast, man. I know we, we are uh, in lockstep in a lot of different ways. So a Love Lister episode was fantastic. And heck yes, man. Anytime you want me to come on here and spit some uh, football knowledge, I'm more than happy to. I love this episode. Absolutely. Sounds good, man. Well, we're wrapping things up here, but if you haven't already, go download the Score app. That's where you're going to find all my fantasy content, including, like I talked about earlier, the Score Fantasy Football Draft Kit, which is coming out later this week. Depending when you're listening, it might actually already be up now. And there are a lot of great fantasy draft kits out there, but ours has the most accurate rankings. I'll pat myself on the back for that one. But it is completely free as well. You cannot beat that. So go check that out on the score. I'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, big thanks to Derek. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening. And we'll see you next time. Said leave on time. My baby said leave on time Leave on time with me tonight